Welcome to the Campus Rush Podcast. We believe that God will speak through this word and meet you right at the point of your need. We hope that God will bless you through this message. I want to preach uh, tonight um, from uh, a perspective. Uh, We finished out our Friendships Volume 2 series. Anybody blessed by that Friendships Part 2? Anybody blessed? Anybody blessed by it? Thank you. Um, we had Michelle, Pastor Michelle and Pastor Manny out last week. Uh, did you receive something from what they said? They were talking about relationships and all that stuff. And I heard you guys are asking questions. And don't worry, we're going to do some other stuff. And in February, I got a program, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, this year, Thursday is actually Valentine's on a Thursday. So we're going to have some good fun in the church. It's going to be awesome. Please, please, don't go anywhere. Bring everybody here. Bring everybody <laughs> It's going to be awesome. And so please come expecting we're going to have a good time out for Val's Day. And uh, we're going to demonstrate the greatest love there is. And that's love in Jesus. Um, it's going to be awesome. Uh, I want to start uh, a series of talks tonight. Uh, we don't have too much time. And so I want to get right into the word. Uh, we're going to start a selection of talks tonight from a subject I titled Love, Peace, and Holy Ghost. Um, somebody say Love, Peace, and Holy Ghost. Incredible series we're getting into. Um, and I'm going to kickstart uh, this sermon series from a topic I entitled Love and the Cave. Love and the Cave. Love and the Cave. Um, it's going to be incredible. Why don't we bow our heads get into it. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your anointing. God, help us as we begin to discuss your work. Give us the ability. Give us the strength give us the wisdom to tackle this in jesus name we've prayed amen anybody here going into exams anybody let me see you by raising hands you're studying you're going to exams incredible 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 may god be with you as you're doing your exams um we have an application on our app campus rush app and there's a section there where you can put it prayer requests we actually pray for them and so put in a request um and we'll let you put down you know your exam times the number of exams you have that type of stuff put it down we want to pray for you and cover you in prayer uh, how does that sound is that all right can we pray for you while you're going to your exams yeah can we all right so we're gonna be praying for those who are writing exams um and it's gonna be incredible uh, love, peace, and Holy Ghost. Let me tackle this subject tonight. Um, like I entitled, Love and the Cave. Can you repeat that after me? Say, Love and the Cave. One thing I've realized about God is that God has deposited uh, so many giftings on the inside of man. Um, when it comes to our lives, when it comes to us as individuals, Pastor David, God has placed so much grace in us, so much, there's so much potential that lies on the inside of us. There's so much um, anointing that's on the inside of us. Uh, If you didn't know, I want you to help your neighbor tap them and say, I'm anointed. Say, I'm anointed. If they, maybe, maybe you're tired of tapping your neighbor, tell yourself, I'm anointed. (laughs) Always tapping your neighbor, man. You got germs. No, I'm anointed. (laughs) There is so much on the inside of you, Pastor Ryan. That God has designed. When God decided to make you, he not only made you with the voice box of an angel, but God made you with anointing on the inside of you. He made you with talents on the inside of you. He made you as a full package. God didn't make mistakes when he made you. He didn't forget aspects when he made you. Some of us complain, God, why am I not like this person? Why am I not like this person? Why am I not like that person? God has created you specifically and specially. 
for a mandate that he wants you to do on this earth. Anybody agree with that? There is one force, Pastor Shawa, that cripples us when it comes to manifesting the things that God has given us. One force. So many other things, but Prof, it stems from this one thing, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Fear. Fear is the number one killer of dreams. Fear is the number one thing that will not allow you to manifest everything that God has placed in you. Have you, have you ever met people who are so gifted and talented, but they never want to sing in front of you? They never want to show you anything? Why? Because they're scared. That doesn't mean that they don't have the gift. It means that they're crippled by a spirit, and that spirit is fear. Fear is one of the most dangerous silent killers to allowing you to live a life unfulfilled and below where God has designed you to live. We're going to read 1 Kings 19. We're going to look at four main things that fear does to be able to cripple us. And then I'm going to show you a way out of it. Are you ready? 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read a little bit of it and then we'll continue. 1 Kings 19. I'm going to read 4 to 9 and then I'll do the rest afterwards. It says here, we're talking about Elijah. Uh, just for context's sake, we know that Elijah was one of the prophets that God has called. We know this uh, because if you go earlier on in chapter 18, the bottom of chapter 18, he was the one that called down fire from heaven that came and consumed all of the water and killed all the prophets of Baal. And he was powerful and he was mighty. And, you know, he thought he was the man. And he was like, I'm the only prophet around. And God can only use me and I'm the one. And we realized in the scripture earlier on, before we pick this up, that he was a man that got anointed for a purpose, for a mandate. But then the Bible says that there was a lady by the name of Jezebel. And we know this because she's the wife of Ahab. And the Bible begins to depict how she says that I'm going to kill you, Elijah, because of what you have done to the prophets of Baal. Basically saying, you have revealed the fact that I am witchcraft. You've revealed the fact that I am a witch. You've revealed the fact that I have demonic ties. And because you've tried to expose them, I am going to kill you. So you see this in the scripture. It says, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by tomorrow this time I do not make you like one of them. Basically saying, Elijah, I'm about to kill you. We pick it up in verses 3, rather. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I find this so interesting. How can a full man of God, let's bring it down. A full man of God. A full man that God has anointed for a purpose. A full person filled with the Holy Ghost that just called on fire from heaven. Two seconds later, afraid of death. You call down fire, but now you're afraid? How is that even possible? How can you become afraid of something when you carry something greater on the inside of you? And so I'm asking to myself all these questions as I'm reading this. All right, we're just going to read this. It's like a soap opera. We'll read it. We'll pick some things out. We'll continue the story, and then we'll end it. It says here in the scripture, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Then it says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah... He left his servant there. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. It says, he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. It says, I've had enough, Lord. 
He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Four things, four main goals of fear. Write this down. The first thing that fear desires to do in your life, considering the gift that's on the inside of you, the first thing that fear decides to do is to displace you. Displace you. Fear when it enters into your system, when the spirit comes over you, when the feeling comes over you, the first thing that fear wants to do is to get you out of the place of grace. First thing. Is to get you out of the place of grace or get you out of your place of influence. How can you be a prophet of God, a man of God, who called down fire, a man of God who had so much influence at a place, and because you are afraid, the first thing you do is leave the place that you were used so mightily. The one thing that fear decides to do, number one, is to displace you. Number two, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. The first, place, the first point is displace. The second point is right here where it says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. The second thing, so after that, after that enemy tries to displace you, the second thing he's going to do is try to detach you. Someone say detach. The second thing that fear does, and we know fear is one of the tactics of the enemy. So the second thing the enemy does is try to detach you. What, I'm, what do I mean by that? I mean this, that when the enemy tries to detach you, basically what he's trying to do is to detach you away from the individuals that have been called to you for you to pour into them. If you look in the scripture, it says that as he got to Beersheba, what did he do there? He left his servant there. What is the relationship between a master and a servant? It's for the servant to be able to train or the master to be able to train the servant. It's for the one that has to be able to give to the one that does not have. The second thing the enemy wants to do after he's displaced you is to detach you. Why? Because the enemy knows what can happen with your poor. When you begin to pour into somebody, the enemy knows that whatever God has done with you, the experiences, the encounters, the moments that God has changed your life, all those things coupled together, now pour into somebody. And the enemy can't stand your life being duplicated in somebody's. So after he displaces you, he wants to detach you. Because he knows what's on the inside of you. I want somebody to just shout real loud, say, I'm greater. Just shout it louder, say, I'm greater. I believe it for somebody. Say, I'm greater. I don't know what you've been going through, but in this season of your life, be careful because the enemy is trying to detach you from people God has called to you. It could be a mentor that he's called. It could be a mentee that's called to you, but the enemy is trying to sow seeds of discord through fear. Why? Because the moment fear comes in, fear tells you, what do you have that you could give that person? Fear tells you, why do you need to be in a place and a posture of being poured into? You can hear God for yourself. Fear begins to manifest itself in lies. Are you still with me? The third thing that the enemy does through fear, after he left his servant, it says this. It says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. The third thing that the enemy tries to do after he displaces you and detaches you, he tries to divide you. Divide you. The enemy through fear will find ways of dividing you from the pack that you need for your very sustenance. 
He will get you on a path by yourself. Why? Because the first thing the enemy does before he conquers you is isolates you. So he, de he desires to break you off from the very thing that is your source so that you don't have strength while you're in your numbers. You don't have wisdom in the multitude and safety in counsel. The enemy desires to make sure that you are divided. But by the grace of God, I want you to tap your neighbor and say, I'm connected. Tell your other neighbor, you didn't like that one. Say, I'm connected. Say it again. Say, I'm connected. Shout it out. Say, I'm connected. After fear displaces you, detaches you, and divides you, the Bible then goes on to say that what did Elijah do? He says this, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. After fear, pastor, displaces you, detaches you, and divides you, the only thing left is to depress you. Depress you. The first sign, I'm a social worker, so the first sign of knowing that someone's depressed is how they speak. You want to come out? No. You want to do this? I'd rather stay in. You want to go? No, I wouldn't. Those are all signs of depression. Why? Because the enemy knows that if you are freed from the shackle of depression, the gifting and the purpose in your life will begin to align to the will of God. So what the enemy does is that he's crippled this generation with a spirit of depression and anxiety to be able to shackle the generation from not actually living a fulfilled life. So what does he do? He uses fear as a way of firstly displacing you, detaching you, dividing you, and depressing you. But by the Holy Spirit tonight, I begin to break off the spirit of depression in this place. The heavy load that is on your shoulder is being lifted right now in Jesus' name. I, I'm taking a break. I'm prophesying into your life that the shackles that the enemy has placed, I'm telling you that you think you're going into a situation that is impossible. But because we have a God in heaven who loves us so much, he sent his son to die, not so that you can be depressed, but that you can be living a life of freedom and a life of joy. I speak the joy of the Lord into your life right now. I wish I had two, three people. I said, I speak the joy of the Lord into your life. You walked into this place depressed, God. I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's exam season. I have a word for you. That is just a byproduct of fear. But right now, we are breaking the spirit of fear in this place. You shall live to decree and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. This is not your end. This is your beginning. Don't give in. Don't throw the towel. This is the beginning of what God is going to do. If you believe it, say, I believe it. I feel like preaching in this place. I want to control myself. I have a lot to say. But I want to take a break right there and tell you that what the enemy has planned for evil, God has turned it around for good. Oh my goodness. Your story may look like it's a bad chapter, but like I wrote on my Instagram, it's not a reason to stop. It just means that what God is doing is that he's making you know that on the other side of your pain, on the other side of defeat is joy. On the other side of defeat is a victory. On the other side of defeat is freedom. If you're going through defeat, it's because just around the corner, there is freedom. Just around the corner, there is freedom. It's not enough for you 
to live a life thinking that I will be depressed every day. I will be anxious every day. You wake up in the morning and you feel the spirit of anxiety all over your room. You can't even get up. You have sleep paralysis. You're waking up and you can't even get yourself. You're not motivated to do anything. It's all a byproduct of fear because the enemy fears what the Christian will do when he rises up and believes that, oh my gosh, if anybody be a man. I can't even preach this. Because he knows that if any man be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old man is gone. The new man is here. So the moment you wake up, it's a separation between your old and your new. It's a separation between yesterday and today. The moment you wake up and you open your eyes is just a signal to the enemy. That enemy, I survived another day. Oh, you, ah, I survived. I sur Tap three people say, I made it, I made it, I made it. The moment your eyes crack up in the morning, it's a signal. Oh my goodness, in hell, all they're saying is, oh, damn. The demons are upset. Why? Because they say that this is another opportunity for the person that God has plus all this passion, all this anointing to begin to unlock it. The enemy is afraid of what you can do with a life of freedom. So he shackles you in fear so that you cannot live free. But if you're in this building, it's because there is hope. Oh, I said there is hope. There is hope. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching a sermon. I'm teaching you a life. I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of my spirit. I'm teaching you something that the God has been teaching me. That every time you wake up in the morning, decree and declare, devil, you thought you lost. You had me, but you've lost. Every time you wake up in the morning, open up your mouth and say, God, I thank you for giving me another day to unleash the potential on the inside of me. Oh my goodness. Every day you wake up is an opportunity, not a struggle. It's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to prove the enemy wrong. The moment you wake up in the morning, the boxing bell goes ding, 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 and the enemy says, all right, let's go. You can't start your day off on the wrong foot. That's why I don't understand the Christian that doesn't put the word at the first thing they do in the morning. How are you going to combat the day without the ammunition? That's why at 4 p.m., oh, I'm scared. Why are you scared? Because you had nothing in your system to combat what the enemy was throwing at you. Hey. I break the spirit of depression all over this place. I'm, if you're watching online, let that spirit break. You're listening tomorrow on the podcast or whenever you're listening. Let that spirit break. You're watching this YouTube video. Tell, oh my goodness, there was a crazy boy in Ottawa. And I'm telling you that God is giving me an anointing to break off the spirit of depression. I speak to depression. It's broken. Anxiety is broken. Fear is crushed. Why? Because we have a God who is living and that God has placed potential the enemy will not have the potential of this generation the potential of this generation is not going to just become potential it's going to become real oh god it's a good place to give god a shout of praise right there have a seat have a seat i'm not finished yet have a seat have a seat so when depression comes it changes your language so be mindful of how you speak when you're down.
Because words carry spirit and words are life. So whatever you begin to speak frames your day and it frames your future. Let's pick it up from same chapter, same book, different verse. Let's go to verses 7 to 9. It says, the angel of the Lord came back and touched Elijah and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave. Someone shout a cave. Shout it louder to 75%. Say a cave. 80%. Come on, let's go up. I said a cave. There it is. And in that cave, he spent one night in that cave. Spent one night in that cave. Help me minister to somebody. Just ask somebody this question. Have you ever been in a cave? Ask them. Ask them. Have you ever been in a cave? Turn to somebody else. Have you ever been in a cave? Ask them. Have you ever been in a cave? Now let me explain what I mean by a cave. Have you ever been in a place where your back is so much against the wall that you don't want to see nobody. You just want to be by yourself. Oh, who can be real? Let me see it. Facts. Have you ever been at a point where the pressures of life are so overwhelming that you don't want to talk to nobody? You just want to be in the cave. Elijah got to the point, church, where he said, listen, I've been traveling for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm in the wilderness. I left my servant behind. I left my place of influence. I left everything. Even the victories I had, I forgot about those victories. I've confessed that I am already depressed. The only thing left for him to do was to find a cave. So Elijah goes and he goes inside this cave. Now let me explain what a cave is. Uh, you know that a cave is oftentimes... At, at, at on a hill, you know, usually it's on a hill, the top, top part of a mountain, and then you find this little opening or this crack inside, you know, a mountain top, and then people go in it, and you know, all that type of stuff inside the cave. It's dark, there's no food, there's no light, there's no nothing. You know, you usually have a boulder, it closes in. You guys get the picture, right? A cave, the top of a mountain, and inside this. I was studying this, and God began to speak to me as I was talking about this concept of the cave. And he said to ask my people this question, that in speaking about a cave, which is a, a, a hole in a mountaintop, he asked my people this question, have you ever been at a bad place in a good season? Let me repeat that. Have you ever been at a bad place in a good season? Or let me rephrase that. Have you ever been at... A low place in a high position. One of the most difficult things to do is to be a leader who's depressed. Dangerous thing. To be in a position. Somebody asked me this question on Instagram. They said, uh, well, what did they say? Uh, how do you continually give out or something like that uh, when uh, you have people who are following you or something? And I told them this simple, simple answer. I said, listen. I will never give somebody what I don't have, because I can't. I said, I personally do not dish out empty plates. That's what I said. 
Why would I give you something I don't have? So that's why you have so many people going to churches and not being fed. Not because there's no preaching, but because there's no food. <laughs> not because there's no singing. <laughs> there's no power. Not because, not because there's, no, there's no fancy words. No, no, no. But there's no demonstration of the power of God. And so we have generations dying. Churches being opened. But people not being fed. Because we have people in positions of leadership. But not in position. Of prayer. Without the influence of prayer and constant communication with the Spirit of God, what do you have to dish out to people? Elijah got it twisted. Please be seated. Elijah thought he was the only prophet around. He thought it was only him. Elijah thought, nobody else can do this work. It's only me. Elijah got to the point whereby he became a little proud. I mean, he just called down fire. He started mocking their gods. I mean, he knew the power he carried, but he was, he, was, he, was, he was proud with it. He was flaunting it. One threat from somebody, he begins to realize that I may have the power and the anointing, but without an experience and a daily contact from the one in whom I work for, I will break at the sound of fear. I will break the sound of fear. So let's see what happens to Elijah. Let's wrap this up. Let's see what happens to him. Let's see what happens to him. If you've ever been in a place, like I say, and like I'm, like I'm saying right now, if you've ever been in a bad place in a good season, if you've ever been in a high position, but a bad place in a high position, I call that the cave. I call that the cave. Being in a place whereby you don't want anybody to see you because you have so many titles, you have accolades, you have all these things on you that you feel that it's not right for you to show brokenness. So you hide yourself expecting nobody to find you. So the pressures of life have pushed you to the cave. The pressures of exams have pushed you to the cave. Things that are happening in life, family, all these things have pushed you to the cave. So this is what happens to Elijah, verses 10. The Bible says that as he spent that night in the cave, and it says this, and the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verses 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. I want you to read verses 11 with me. Can you read that with me? Uh, let's read that, just the top of it. One, two, three, and go. The Lord said. Let's stop right there. Write this down. One of the strongest forces, one of the greatest things that could ever pull you out of a cave experience is a call to the presence. A call to the presence. A call to the presence. 
If you are in the most low point of your life, a difficult season, you are at a high place, but in a bad place, in a bad decision or a bad position, in a high place, or you're in a place where you're like, God, how do I even get out of this? One of the strongest things that can pull you out is a call to the presence of God. A call to be in the one, to a call to be with the one who knows how to get you back on track. So if you're writing notes, number one, a call to the presence is the one thing that can get you out of a cave position. And number two, read verses 11 to 13. I'm going to read it here. After he goes on to the mountain, it says, the Lord's about to pass by. It says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. It says, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. God is not always spectacular, but he's supernatural. Doesn't have to come how you want him to. Just wait and expect and know that he's coming. It says, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the great wind, but what? He came in a gentle whisper. It says, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I want to give you another point to get you out of this season, get you out of this cave. Number two, search for the voice. After you've received a call to the presence, search for the voice. Someone shout that. Say, I'm searching for the voice. The voice that is coming to you, meaning that the confirmation you need in this season may not come through me. Confirmation that you need in this season may not come through somebody you expect, but it may come through the very most despised person that you think that nothing good can come out of. But God may use that individual to confirm the voice of God concerning the season you're in. And especially how to get out of the season that you find yourself in. Search for the voice. It says here, what are you doing here? And Elijah would be at his lowest point. And I stopped here. I was asked, I was doing a word study. I said, God, why did you bring me to this point? Like, it's such a dark scripture. Why am I reading this? And he said this, I, I want you to tell my people this very thing. What would make a holy God, righteous, come down to speak to a man at the lowest point of his life? Think about that. This righteous, holy, amazing God, this man who is depressed in a cave, what would make Elijah be able to receive an experience or an encounter from a God in heaven? God spoke to me. He said, it's a four-letter word, love. Love. Love is one of the most powerful tools in the world. And love is the very thing that allowed God to come down and meet Elijah in the cave. I have a scripture for you, then we'll wrap this up. Romans 8, 38 verses 39. Let's read this. Romans 8, 38 verses 39. It says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, verses 39, neither height nor death uh, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean, Pastor? What are you trying to say right now? You're speaking all types of stuff. What I'm trying to tell you is this, that it doesn't matter what you're going through. The love of God is so powerful. Why? Because God is love. So God is so powerful that he actually desires to be in the lowest places with you. Many of us think that being at the lowest places, being in a cave where nobody can see us, being at a place where we're depressed is the place that God would say, I would not even come to that point. But God is saying, listen, Elijah, I need you. So I'm coming down from heaven and I'm knocking on your cave and we will experience God. My love will experience you in that cave. You will receive a supernatural experience of the love of God in the cave. I speak that over your life. The way you're going to get through this season is by a deeper knowledge of the love of God. God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he wants to be with you in the lowest points of your life. That's why it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate us. Ask God. God, this is a good revelation. This is level one. Can I go a little deeper? Can I go a little deeper? Is that all right? I'll just go a little bit and then we'll continue next week. I ask God, I say, God, why are you showing me this scripture? And I know, yes, you love all people, but Elijah, he was at a very, very low point. Why did you decide to go there? He said, yes, Kof, number one, I love Elijah. But number two, I knew that there was a boy somewhere called Elisha that needs a purpose to come to life. And so unless I go and knock on the cave of Elijah and tell Elijah, get up and get onto that mountaintop. Go back to the place where you can hear me. I will never get an Elijah to come out of. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that there is somebody that needs you to get out of the cave. There is somebody out there. Yeah, there's somebody that unless you get out of that depressive state, listen, snap out of it. Get out of the cave and go back to the place where you can hear God. How long are you going to be in the cave? How long are you going to be depressed? How long are you going to say, I can't, I can't, I can't. The longer you keep delaying and saying, I can't, the longer somebody is saying, when God will you answer my prayer? Not knowing their answered prayer is in you getting out of the cave and going on the mountaintop. I've come to speak to three people in this place that it's not enough for you to receive an experience from God and be okay. There is an experience that God wants to give you so that you can go and help somebody who is somewhere why would it be that you could be on your feet and finish why would it be that the moment Elijah hears the voice of God amongst the first instructions he's given one of them is to go anoint a king and the other one is to go and anoint a prophet it means this, that unless Elijah experienced love in the cave, because nothing can get you out of that low place than the knowledge that God loves you so much. He didn't come and send his son so that you can live in despair. He sent his son so that you can live in freedom. 
So he says this, I've sent my son to break off the back of fear. Because why? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of, and of, of power and of, of and of a, so it means that fear is not something that you should entertain in your life. Because we've studied the byproducts of fear. And it literally ends in demise. So why would a holy God come to a depressed prop? Because the presence of God. Power. Why would a holy God, Sally, come to a depressed prophet who's on the verge of death? Because God loves him too much to sit in heaven and see wasted potential. Can you imagine the amount of people that have lost their faith if Elijah stayed in that cave the rest of his life? Do you know the amount of prophets that were waiting for Elijah to come back? Elisha was waiting. There was a school of prophets on the inside of Elijah. There were so many giftings on the inside of him that God couldn't wait in heaven and stay there and look down and see the destinies and futures of so many people wasted because one person was deprived of the love of God. I want to read one last scripture. John 4, 18. 1 John 4, 18. And then we'll go. Put it on the scripture for uh, Put it on the screen for us. And let's read it together. One, two, three, go. There is no fear in love. So it means it's either you're full of the love of God, which is the beginning of the fruit of the Spirit, that then leads to love, long suffering and all those other fruits of the Spirit. It's first love. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. Then patience and joy and peace. So all of those things are byproducts of first having the love of God. So pastor, why don't I have peace? Because you haven't experienced love. And why don't you have love? Because you're living in fear. So the moment you get on a, a revelation, you become awoken to the fact that God loves you so much to come to the lowest point. If God can love you at your lowest, it means, man, he will love you when you're on top as well. It doesn't mean that he just loves the people who are on the lowly, but he also loves the people who are also doing well and, and thriving forward. So what does that mean? He means that he won't just love you at your worst, just love you at your top, but he loves you in between. Because perfect love casts out all fear. There was a perfect love in this place and his name is Jesus. There was a God in this place and he is love. And he's come to knock on the door of your cave tonight. To say, listen, enough is enough. Get out of this cave. I want you to experience my perfect love. I want you to bow your head right now. The scripture that we read previously says that there's no angel in heaven, no demon in hell that can separate us from the love of God because we serve a God who has love and his love is reckless. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Campus Rush Podcast. If you enjoyed this message and want to partner with us, visit us at www.campusrush.org to become a global partner or to partner with us in giving.